Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 127 was recorded live August 23rd, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson. Here's a few of the articles we're going to be covering this week. We have uh, Dima partying like a rock star, dinosaurs with the bends, search for lost ships in the Arctic. Oh, before we get started news, I'd like to welcome my co-host for this week. We have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. I'm glad to be here and looking forward to seeing what's on the agenda for tonight. Excellent. And we also have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? Oh, man, I'm as happy as a fly in an outhouse. Sounds pretty happy to me. Jump right on the news so we can get into the good stuff. DEMA's had quite a few press releases this week. The first one is uh, DEMA 2012 Awards Party. They have, uh, I guess everybody's invited. They sent it specifically to me, you know, knowing how special I am. But they say you can uh, party like a rock star at the Hard Rock Hotel, premier party venue, The Joint. Uh, this press release out of San Diego, California. Uh, they're going to have the 24th annual presentation of the Dive Industries prestigious Reaching Out Awards at the Hard Rock Hotel Premier Party Venue. Uh, this year's DEMA Awards are going to, uh, gosh, this is, there's so much uh, PR speak in this, it's hard to read it. Okay, let's get to the good part. Uh, they have recipients Dan Orr and Dick Rutowski, um, and uh, they'll have all sorts of stuff. So if you want to go, you can get tickets. Uh, let's see what that's the date, November 16th, 2012, 6.30 p.m. to midnight. So that sounds like that's going on uh, while the DEMA show is going on. I guess I should have uh, checked in advance. And then another press release from DEMA. If you happen to be a dive shop owner or a member of the DEMA Association, they are now uh, partnering uh, with a company to offer health insurance. Uh, so without re- uh, reading the whole thing, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, they say DEMA members are encouraged to log into their DEMA member dashboard today and they get a quote on the insurance program listed through their member benefits. Uh, we also have a correction from last week in the news. I, I couldn't pronounce the uh, name. It looked like Canada, something else, and we actually thought it was in Ontario. Uh, I, I guess we weren't too close. So uh, on Facebook, which is uh, our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed, we had a post from Darren uh, Crane. He said, listen to episode 126 in the Zoom. The story of the diver struck by the pontoon boat needs some clarification. It's uh, Cadegua, Canadegua, Canadegua. Huh. So it's Canadegua Lake, which is one of 11 of the Finger Lakes. It's in Ontario County, New York, south of Rochester, not Canada. The boat diver was from Chile, New York, not Chile. <laughs> So uh, just to clarify the local, uh, he said, great uh, podcast, hoping to get certified in the coming months, take care. So, uh, And we know that all the best divers uh, do have the name Darren, so he's got a good head start. Well, it's good to have somebody come up and give us some, some feedback like that so we don't go, you know. I, I need that feedback before the, before the show. <laughs> I need like a prep team, fact checkers, pronunciation, you know, a couple million uh, in budget, and we should be able to do that. 
need a few more sponsors first. Yeah, we do. I'm not going to argue with you there. Okay, we'll go ahead and post these stories into the chat room. So if you're listening live, that's one of the benefits. And we'll even forgive a few of you who who's still over there at Rich's podcast, who we overlapped tonight just a little bit. Uh, probably by about 10 or 15 minutes, I got a chance to listen in his podcast, which is great. He was talking about some excellent dives. He bought one of those new Shearwater computers, kind of like uh, what Bob has, and uh, he's having a blast with it. You know, it's it's kind of like when, with us uh, using the air tables went to a computer, how great that was. That's what he's experience, experiencing with tech diving. So you make sure you want to listen to Divers Sync Netcast and you can follow up. And I think they're in the 80s now. And yeah, 86, episode 86 tonight. So he just, it just seems like he just got started. Okay, let me see. My, my article didn't come up. I was hoping that by being a little long-winded, the article would show up. But uh, uh, we, we got a couple links. So I'll paste the first one in, and then here goes the second one. And, uh, you know, this, this first article kind of reminds me of how, uh, you know, we say that lakes will preserve uh, shipwrecks quite a long time. And I think this goes to prove that uh, a lot of things in the uh, Great Lakes can be preserved. Uh, a mummified body was found in Lake Michigan, and it uh, turned out to be a diver who disappeared 13 years ago. Uh, Dirk Kahn of Iowa was diving the wreck to steamer Lakeland, which sank in 1924 when he experienced trouble on his way back to the surface. Uh, let me see. Uh, the, the, he disappeared in 1999. Um, two divers in Whitefish Bay found the 52-year-old, still clad in his diving gear, 225 feet below the surface. Uh, the water temperature is 36 degrees at that depth, and they said that will preserve a body for years. There's not a lot of oxygen down there, uh, plus the cold. It's like a refrigerator. Uh, a body will keep for a while. Khan was an experienced diver. Uh, he went diving a Lakeland steam wreck on September 4th, 1999. As they were surfacing, uh, both men experienced trouble. Uh, Khan decided to hang on the line at 80 feet below the surface to decompress from the 175-foot dive. Uh, decompression is necessary. His partner continued up, but when he reached the surface, there was no sign of Khan. Uh, and then the, I, I, the second link in there, it goes into a little bit of depth uh, detail, and they talk about uh, that they one of them had a leak in their tank, so they ran out of air. So they were both breathing off the same tank, and Khan stayed while the other went up. So you know, without having an autopsy or knowing what was going on, it sounds like maybe he ended up with uh, uh, having problems from uh, decompression illness if he didn't do his uh, proper time. Uh, they say attempts have been made, been made over the years to recover his body, but none were successful until Saturday. Makes you wonder if the people down there who recovered him were using rebreathers, so they had a longer time to spend and to look around. And yep. some pictures, if those were on-site pictures, were pretty good. And it looks like the visibility may have increased since that time also, making things easier to find. Yeah. Uh, it would be, I, you know, I'd love to know where they, you know, some detail. I mean, it's gruesome. You know, it's tragic that uh, somebody lost their life and had problems. You know, hopefully, you know, we can learn from the experience. But I'd also love to know where the body was. You know, was it wedged somewhere? Was it just kind of out in a spot that nobody looked at? You know, how far from the wreck was it? Those right. Are all... If he was hanging on a, a line or had a line around it, like a John line, one would have thought he'd have gone straight down, perhaps. Yeah. But like you were saying, I, I still think it might have been due to low visibility. Yeah. Well, what, what I'm uh, picturing is because it sounds like uh, was it which which diver was it? I'm I, the way it's written, it's kind of confusing. Was Khan the one who stayed down? It appears to be. Yeah, because in the second article, it, it reads a little bit differently. They said the dive went wrong. Khan and his friend Greg Olson 
shared oxygen from Khan's tank as the two men frantically same, uh, swam for the surface. Uh, Khan, 52, never made it out of out alive, uh, and the official spent years trying to find his body. We made numerous attempts through the years to recover him with a technical advancement. Uh, we used some to go down there, but his remains weren't found until Saturday. Uh, let's see... Yeah, just it's it's hard to tell. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, but with visibility being low, if he, if he stayed down, then if he just you know blacked out or had other complications, you know, he he could have just fell away. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, closure for the family there. Yeah. Okay. Next up is we have uh, you know hu- humans evidently aren't the only ones who get uh, decompression illness. Uh, they're saying that dinosaur bends uh, were caused by leisurely sea diving. Uh, dinosaur-like creatures have uh, scarred themselves during leisurely deep diving and not from resurfacing too quickly. As previous believed, a recent study identified bone deformities on fossilized remains of Ichthyosaurus, which was a giant dolphin-like reptile that first appeared about 200 and 45 million years ago. Uh, the lesions were similar to those on human divers. Uh, developed the result of changing in body pressure and suggests the reptile suffered from a version of the the blends. (laughs) The bends. Uh, New analysis from the University of Melbourne uh, pathologist, Associate Professor John Heyman, sought to explain why they may have been, what may have caused the bone lesions. Uh, Research argues that the injury may be the result of deep diving and spending too long at depth causing excess nitrogen to be dissolved in the body and not from a quick ascent as previously thought. Uh, they're saying that it, the dinosaurs probably have evolved the ability to dive deeper and remain at depth for a longer period of time. Uh, an alternative explanation is that the reptiles developed decompression sickness from being trapped in, sh- trapped in shallow waters by predators. And we're back you are again. unmuted. <laughs> we are back. Will they ever return, Dave's asking in the chat room. Now, uh, after the show, if Dave's still on, I have to ask her a question. He's got some comments there in the chat, and it, it sounds like an interesting story there. I have to get some more details. Okay. Oh, so we were talking about dinosaurs with the bends. Um, so they, they they said it wasn't from rapid ascents. Now, did you get what they're saying, that maybe they were trapped in shallow water? That's the part I didn't understand as their alternate. They're not yeah. association, associating decompression sickness from being in shallow water. Well, could it be something like maybe like a like if you take a saturation diver and then you move them into seventy feet of water? Is it possible that maybe they, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, maybe it's a different type of uh, mechanism than what we're familiar with. Where if you, you know, because you got to come up for air. I mean, the reptiles, so they have to come up for air on the surface. But maybe they come up so quick and for such a short amount of time. And then they get back to depth that you may, I mean, it could, it could be something that's just natural that their body learned to tolerate. And maybe that's what the point was. Maybe that they, they somehow got stayed up shallow too long for some reason. Well, I can't prove it one way or the other. They can say whatever they want, I suppose. Well, we could, you know, if, if it wasn't for PETA, we could take some, you know, lizards and try and duplicate it. Well, they should clone one of those dinosaurs and oh. then uh, we could actually drown the little sucker and then do it. <laughs> Well, pick one that's really tasty to eat, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, maybe that'd be it. I mean, gosh, can you imagine how good eating a dinosaur might be? And you could feed a lot of the people, too. Yeah. Raising dinosaurs, dinosaurs, fun and profit. Yeah, and, and with a uh, political season, 
uh, anybody who didn't make it into office who could use his food. Yeah. A, a, a food source. You know, PETA protects rats, but they don't think they protect politicians. <laughs> oh, let's see. Okay, let's let's get back to that. Uh, oh, speaking of eating, we have uh, scuba diving chef Alton Brown urges Americans to eat more squid. Uh, now, Master I, Chef, I, what's, what's that? The ability of squid on the open market now. Well, that's. I mean, I've never been to a store where I've seen like fresh squid. I've I've been to stores where they've had dehydrated, and that's not too bad. You know, it's kind of okay. like a. I had that in California. Matter of fact, uh, down there at the, at the boardwalk. Boardwalk. So you could get you, you get fresh squid. I had fresh squid in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, I mean, I've been quite a few years ago. I mean, I like calamari. I can't believe squid would be all that much different. Uh huh. So but I haven't seen any at my local Martin store. I'll tell you that. No. No. We. I don't even know if do they still have the lobsters. They used to have lobsters there in a the tank for a bit. Uh, I hadn't noticed. I really haven't. I noticed when I went to the Red Lobster, they had lobster in their tank, though. No squid. No squid. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, he he can say we should eat squid, but I, I don't know if that's kind of a chicken-the-egg thing. If you're not eating the squid, then nobody's going to try and sell it. But if they don't sell it or serve it, it's going to be hard to get it to eat. We have Rich just jumped in the chat room. Hi, Rich. Uh, but, yeah, Brown was saying that uh, from a, I don't know if it's called a sustainable food program, he's saying Arctic char, summer flounder, clams, and squid is what we need to be eating more of. He says it's high time that we start thinking like the Italians and Europeans start eating squid on a large scale. You can grill them, you can fry them, you can bake them, you can stuff them. We're actually doing recipes now where we have a lot like pot stickers and wontons. You can actually cap them with a feeling. So it's me, the absolute best thing you can eat out of the ocean. If they'd like to send me some, you know, uh, freeze-dried samples mm-hmm. that we could, you know, partake of, we could give them our opinion. Yeah, I, I, I would certainly try some. Uh, yeah. So he, he might be an interesting person to have on the show, too. Maybe we could we could have a segment. We could have uh, Alton Brown does his uh, scuba recipes. I mean, who, who better than a scuba diving chef? Absolutely. Okay. So uh, if you can't get, you know, since we don't have the squid, you can actually go and... Uh, Look for other things underwater. This next one is on scuba diving into fish territory. Uh, I kind of liked the approach of this story where they were looking at it as a new market to uh, find divers. This is real in Wisconsin. Did we get lost again? Yeah. No, I'm I'm here. Oh, okay. The Internet is just painfully slow. I think this one has a video on it. Uh, It says, uh, when hunting, it's good to get a bird's eye view of the lay of the land and exactly where your target game is. But when fishing, it's kind of hard to get that point of view. So if you want to get up and close to the fishing are, you're going to need to get underwater. Uh, he says, just about every time I'm fishing, I would say, I just wish I could see where they're at underwater. So I decided to put my scuba certification to good use and do exactly that. Timber-based sport and dive center owners Bill and Linda Nicholas uh, said I may not be the first. Uh, they have big competitive fishermen come to uh, take dive classes. They can learn to dive to see where the fish are hiding out. Uh, last time we were there, we saw muskies. Uh, and he says it's only a matter of minutes before bass and walleye come out to play. And we've seen that, Mac, when yeah. uh, when we when do river dives, uh, those bass like to uh, tail you around. They stay right out of arm's length, uh, but they, they certainly are interested in what we're finding. I think they're hoping that we're going to stir up some uh, worms or something. You can see that really well when we're up in Sheboygan diving the river there because the visibility is good. I mean, you can see it down here to a limited degree, you know, even there uh, down there in Niles where we've been diving. But uh, you're right. Good viz, it's amazing what you see and how many fish are out there watching us. 
Yeah, th- this last line in the article is great. It says, a lot of people are surprised when they come into the dive shop. And it's like, where do you dive? And he says, where don't you dive up here? It's great. Yeah. So, yeah, many, if, if you're listening to the show and you're from up here and you're not diving, what are you waiting for? You just I mean, they're more soft. Why wait? Yeah. Oh, so. And so it goes from that program of, of taking fishermen and turning them into divers. Uh, here's another one uh, program that has received some funding, and it says a charity who uses scuba diving to steer young people away from antisocial behavior is among 76 projects to receive 665,000 pounds of funding from the Big Lottery's Fund Awards. They say scheme, and to me, scheme is not something you want to use with uh, lottery and funding. Uh, they've been granted 4,550 pounds to provide more scuba diving sessions for young people. The group was originally set up by a police sergeant and community support officer who wanted a different way to capture the imaginations of children on their beat. It says, uh, scuba diving lessons have the great response, so much so we've had to put newcomers on a waiting list. The lessons give children of all sorts a new skill, and because the buddy system they work in, it's really improved the respect for each other and helped them make new friends. So some group members... They put their skills to use helping to clean up waterways in their communities. Now, now this sounds like it's, I mean, it's in London region. Where are they diving? I mean, are they, they're not going into rivers, are they? I don't know. It doesn't really tell me there. Yeah, if they're doing cleaning, I mean, I would think so. There's, I know there's some quarries around there that some of our London and uh, UK listeners have talked about. But, I mean, I guess you could do a little cleaning up there. But, yeah, if, if, if you know where they're going and diving to do some of these ecologies, that, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I guess I guess there's some off the coast. Uh, yeah, I, I know they do some of the abalone diving or stuff. Seems like I've watched some shows where they've been doing that. Uh, so, but an excellent program. Glad they got some funding. And then uh, an, another youth uh, who's earned uh, some uh, not earned some diving did some diving, but he also earned 133 merit badges at the age of 15. And uh, not directly a scuba diving story, uh, but he talks about. Uh, you know how he's he was driven, and he at the time he uh, right before he joined Boy Scouts, where he was in Weeblos or Cub Scouts, he had, uh, he saw somebody had gotten all the merit badges, which at that point in time was 121 that were currently being offered. Uh, since then, and since he joined, they're up to 133. Uh, he realized uh, the magnitude of the work that was uh, before him, because only 70 to 100 people nationwide have earned more than 100 merit badges in the last. 30 years. So, uh, and then you're probably thinking, where's the scuba come into play? Well, one of the badges he had to get was the scuba merit badge. And just before uh, he had, he went to get certified for it, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So through uh, help of his doctor and uh, hunting around for a dive center who was willing to work with the condition, he was been able to get certified. And after certification, he's also gone on dives in Hawaii. So excellent work. That's amazing. So you, you think of, you know, if you've wanted to dive, look at the challenges that he had to go through in the effort. And it wasn't something he just did for a merit badge because he's, he's, he's done diving since. It would really be interesting to hear about this gentleman when he's 21. Oh, yeah, this, this, you know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm biased because, you know, I'm a, a scout leader and I believe in the program and my son's in Boy Scouts now. And, but, you know, even my, my mother-in-law, was just talking the other day that she saw a difference in him coming back from camp. And, and, and not that he wasn't a great kid before, but his confidence in what they teach you and how and what you learn 
is just immeasurable. You know, if, if everybody needs to be doing a scouting program, it doesn't have to be Boy Scouts. Uh, uh, other groups have similar programs, but you got to keep the the youth engaged and involved. You know, even scuba diving, you can you could keep them involved with scuba diving. There's a lot of the programs uh, that are out there, but uh, yeah, this 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 young man has uh, got a bright future. Yeah, I worked with the Explorer Scouts in Germany, and uh, it gave them an outlet that they normally wouldn't have had. And uh, kids can do a you know can do a heck of a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm always upset that we don't challenge kids enough. Keep them engaged. It's it's easy for them to just plop in front of the the TV or do something on the computer. And you look at the activities they're doing on the computer. It's a a risk reward type of program. I mean, when you when you're playing a video game. That's really what they're doing. They're investing time. They're having a challenge, and they get something back, whether it's a score or an item or something. And that's what they're doing. And real life has those benefits in it built in naturally. The only one item is this one you have to communicate and work with real people by your elbow. And on the computer, you're not necessarily having to use uh, social skills. You know, that is true for some things. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also a, a gamer, which I, I tend not to admit. But there are uh, what they call the massively online role-playing games, uh, and they have a, an activity called raiding where you have to do a lot of coordination. So uh, there, there are some social skills and some leadership skills that can come out of that. But uh, I think in, in general, you're true. I, everything with balance. I mean, it's kind of like you can have your ice cream and you can have your, your steak, but you can't have a meal of 100% of, of either of them. Uh, okay, this this next one is, uh, and I, I, did I, let me see. Yeah, I just pasted this into Skype because it didn't make the show notes. This is a fresh-breaking scuba story. Uh, a search for the lost Franklin ships launched in Canada's Arctic, Arctic Sovereignty, sovereignty fueling the quest for ships, uh, the Urbis and Terror, observers say. A joint alliance of several government agencies and private interests, the Canadian government today launched the largest search, search yet for the lost ship of Sir John Franklin's doomed 1845 quest to the Northwest Packet Passage since the Urbis and Terror disappeared nearly 170 years ago in the Arctic waters out of what is now known uh, Nanuvut. Their saga has become much more than a Victorian horror story with touches of cannibalism, dashed dreams, and death of the unforgiving North. Uh, the ships are probably arguably the most important exploration wrecks that have not been found in the sense that Franklin Expedition is an enduring mystery, uh, whose uh, book, 2004 book, Frozen Time, co-written by Oren uh, Beatty, probed the fate of the failed 19th century polar mission. Now, I appreciate that these research scientists uh, may have had it, but they don't need to go looking for it. I know I, uh, Clive Cussler had this in one of his books, and we know that what he says goes. <laughs> have, have you read that book? I mean, either you read Clive Cussler. Oh, absolutely. I think I've read all uh, of his. Yeah, I read a lot of Cussler. Yeah, I've, I, I'm looking at my shelf here, and I must have, I have to count. I, I've read every one. I have a few missing, but it looks like I got like 50 or 60 books there. But now, do you remember the one where there, where the, he had the, you know, how, how he typically writes his stories? He's got the little, you know, the first paragraph or the preface is uh, a little story about some wreck or some activity. And he yeah. had one on this one. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll have to find that out. If anybody knows, I could send it because that might, that might prompt me to read that book again. 
gosh, if I get stuck in my Clive Cussler books, it might be a couple months before I get out. And he's publishing four or five a year, it seems like. So uh, Canada's out there looking. Now, did you pick up the overtone in the beginning of why they're doing this? Uh, I didn't because I'm not quite sure which one you're looking at because I don't have the one you've got there. Yeah, I paste it in the Skype so you could. Uh, oh, you got it in Skype, thanks. If, if you, if you look, look it there. But Arctic sovereignty. So mm. what's happening is that as the as we go through this cycle where the earth is warming, and we can debate whether it's environmentally caused or otherwise, but it's opening up sea channels that aren't typically open as consistently as they are now. So you're seeing nations that might not have territorial claims or they may uh, trying to maneuver up there to get mineral rights. So you've got China and Russia who may not have been getting as far in as they've gotten up there poking around. And it's anticipated that at some point in time there's going to be a battle and it could just be political or it could be otherwise, on who's going to have access to these resources. So by finding a ship like this in particular locations, it solidifies the claim uh, for boundaries. You know, I'm, I'm going but, but, back I'm looking at this comment where they say probably the most valuable cultural, historical, international scale material that a Canadian government can point to in asserting the claim for greater control over the Northwest Passage. I'm very curious. I, I don't mean this facetiously, but who, who cares? I mean, what culturally, historical, international scale, what, what does that mean? And I suppose the other aspect is, what's it worth? Well, it's worth, you can't buy it. It's worth that much money. And it's at the bottom of the ocean. And then you're going to spend how much to bring it up and preserve it? And what are you going to do with it that justifies the cost that you're going to spend on it? I'm at a loss there. Sorry about that, but I, I am. Well, I, you know, this, this is pure politics. And, you know, fortunately for us, I'm, I'm betting if they find these ships, they're going to be an ama- they're either going to be an amazing condition or ground to a pulp by the ice. They're but, they're actually in good condition because this is not the first, and there's several that have been in the last couple of years rediscovered because uh-huh. of the ocean is being opened up so much. Uh, like that uh, one American submarine they found. Yeah, you know, it's been there. They normally don't see it because of the weather. Now that the weather is really moderated, it's open for longer periods of time. Yeah. They're finding some really nice finds up there yeah. that are when you say pristine, you're talking pristine. Yeah. Well, like we had the story in the beginning about mummified in water. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're yeah. we're, we're going to see similar things. In fact, National Geographic had that article. What's it been? Maybe 15 years ago now, where they ha- they found the graves up there, and everybody was like the day they were buried. Well, my question is, if this was a British expedition, an English expedition, uh, uh, what gives Canada the right to claim it? Well, I mean, I, I think they they're, you're going to you're going to have the from England at the time. Yeah, you're going to have the whole Commonwealth argument is going to be what plays into that. So I think technically Canada is still affiliated with the uh, UK in a way, uh, but uh, the the real story of this is just. You know, they want something else to be able to rattle the public over and say, see, see, see. I think it's interesting looking at economics, that statement says, Campbell says the cost to Parks Canada for the search this year is about $270,000. And, of course, comes on the heels of federal plans to cut department spending, including Parks Canada, by a total of $5.2 billion by the year 2 or 2015. 
Now, I'm just searching for this. Search efforts have been in the average range of $100,000 to $200,000 a year. What's your return on the investment? And could you have used that money for better purposes or even more so, not take it out in taxes over somebody's paycheck? You know, I, I agree there, but kind of back on it. What kind of Arctic expedition can you really put on for that amount of money? I mean, it's you know, you, you look at the boats we're running and then you look at what they've got there. I don't, I don't see how they can do it for that. Uh, and, and really should they be the ones who are putting on the search? You know, Parks Canada is, is doing the search. Shouldn't, shouldn't it be National Geographic or some other research group? You know, $200,000, uh, a private company filming the search could, could make that back in advertising on a, you know, on a three or four episode show. Do it a reality. Yeah. You know, Arctic no, hunters. The government cannot be in treasure hunting expeditions. Yeah. No, they can just tax the heck out of you if you find it. <laughs> Which they do, if they don't take it all. They yeah, Rich, Rich is saying he oh. could do a huge expedition for 200 k Well, I don't well, know. I'm, I'm just picturing the Arctic has got to be a little bit more of a, uh, involved. But, hey, you know, I'm willing to give it a shot. Yeah, if they're going to give me the money. But you had a, another presentation a couple of months ago where we were talking about some of the cost of one of the expeditions that we're talking. And you're talking about the, the vessel because it was a pretty good-sized one. And if you're doing deep water research, the side scan, the investment in utensils like the side scan or ROVs, uh-huh. $200,000 isn't going to go a long way at all. No, no, you've got a crew you got to pay. you got to feed them. you got to have fuel. And, you know, even $200,000 of gas ain't a lot of gas for some of those boats. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. So it, they, they have to you – know, well, you can also do this through – you know, universities, you know, universities could sponsor these expeditions. And they do when they can get a grant from a government <laughs> the money. That's where it comes oh, from. And there you go. Grants are not free freaking money. Somebody paid free? came out of my back pocket. Free? No, the I thought they were free. They can do expeditions, but they can sponsor them for universities. <laughs> I love it. Gold for uh, dive weights. Ooh, that sounds nice. Okay, so if we didn't get everybody fired up enough about that one, uh, how about this next one where you can uh, ship uh, freeze driving a uh, freeze driving freeze drying a shipwreck? This goes back to my same argument, <laughs> and and I, it's interesting Gov- too. You look at the government funds. That doesn't uh, to me is those are like the old war canoes, you know, that are thirty feet long, very shallow. You get your elbows on both sides. Uh-huh. I mean, using the word ship to me is a little odd. Well, you notice they're not showing a whole lot of it in the article. They probably took the only piece that actually even resembles a ship anymore. Yeah, that's so, the bow. So just so everybody who's listening uh, and not following along the chat room where we paste the show notes knows what we're talking about, is uh, the Explorer LaSalle's shipwreck is to be re- freeze-dried and rebuilt. I guess can't say freeze-dried today. Um, uh, LaSalle in 1685... Um, uh, researchers at the Texas A&M University are in uncharted waters. They try to reconstruct the vessel with a gigantic freeze dryer, the first undertaking of its size. By placing the ship, LaBelle, in a constant environment up to 50 degrees below zero, more than 300 years of moisture will be safely removed from hundreds of European oak and pine timbers and planks. The freeze dryer, dryer located in the old Bryan Air Force Base Several miles northwest of College Station is uh, 12 meters long and two and a half meters wide. The biggest sex, 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 biggest such machine 
on the continent devoted to archaeology. I think I need another drink. Researchers will rebuild the 16.6-meter vessel, which will become the centerpiece for the Bob Bullock Texas State History Museum in Austin. So it sounds more like a uh, a project to create a centerpiece. Well, I looked at the, the uh, logistics for it, and that helped a little bit. It's uh, only in approximately four meters of water. Obviously, they did a cofferdam, excavated the water, went through two meters of mud. I think it was two meters of mud to get get the ship revealed. Now, that alone around here would cost you how much? Oh, yeah. Then they talked about they were retrieving the whole intact ship. And to me, they're talking war canoe, a big long one. Uh-huh. They said they recovered 700,000 items from that. Now, that's uh, from swords, cannon, and ammunition to beads and mirrors. Okay, so I will grant them 100, make that 600,000 beads. <laughs> they say 700,000, you know, damn good and well. You're not going to put anything, 700,000 items, unless they count the beads and the ammunition and the cannon, meaning cannonballs. I mean, what, what are you finding there that you didn't know about already, I wonder? No, I, I I think it's so that when you come in the front door of whatever this museum is, that there's a a unique shipwreck there that they can talk about. Yeah, and it's, and there's a lot, there can be history. Yeah, you know, and I, and this is the type of project I I love. I mean, I think this is great. I'd I'd love to have something like that around here, but you know, as we talked about before, here's some uh, you know, where's the money come from? And what I'm wondering is they talked about freeze drying. There's a, there's another process where they're using glycol. Yeah, you know, I took a chunk of wood that I pulled up out of fresh water oh, probably well, six, eight weeks ago. And I soaked it in vegetable oil. And you know, I'm, I'm wondering, if, do we really need to spend as much money when there's other ways to preserve it? I preserved some items that did not, that if I had not done something, would have shrunk and probably cracked. And I did the same thing. I put it in oil or glycerin or something else that mm-hmm. did take the, the water out and preserve that piece of wood in very good shape. Yeah, because this is a piece of wood that I found. It was probably at about 25 feet deep. It was the end of a tree log where somebody had taken a chainsaw and it, for some reason, cut a disc. And I thought, you know, here's a low-risk item that I can experiment with. And so it's just plain old kitchen vegetable oil. Uh, Well, I did one, let's say, 45 years ago (laughs) that I did the same process, and it's just like new. Yeah. And I didn't go through all this wonderful, happy stuff they do, and uh, didn't cost me a lot. It took a lot of time. Put it in a plastic vessel with that. A year later, you get it out, clean it, change the change the oil, and that thing's in good shape. Yeah, as they're saying, initially the yep. ship was going to be re- reassembled in a two-stage chemical process, but as oil prices rose, so did the cost of the chemical polyethylene glycol, which is one of them that you had mentioned. That's why I don't mind. I like to find them and give them to somebody else to do all the heavy the heavy work, meaning the costly work. Yeah. If finding costs enough, Lord knows what you can do with it unless it's cold. Yeah. Yeah, I found one of the what I'm doing right now is soaking a couple of dead eyes that were uh, passed on to me, and I've been uh, soaking them with uh, turpentine and linseed oil. Yeah. Now, well, when something like that's dried out, you know, after years of being stored somewhere, uh, will they come back? Uh, they haven't swollen up too much, but they look look pretty good. I've got them in the drying stage now. I had them probably soaking for a couple months. Well, that does it for the main part of Scuba in the News for this week. Uh, this next one, this one, this is one that Mac uh, put me on, some potentially cool scuba gear, Hero Armor. 
like to get your take on this, Jim, since uh, you've got one of these GoPros. Ah, uh, yeah, I saw that. It's the uh, aluminum housing for the GoPro. Um, it's a bit pricey. Uh, I don't know what it's going to give me any more than what the GoPro housing does. You know, unless he's planning to take this thing down to uh, five or six hundred feet, but. Well, what what they talk about in uh, the little art the email. So, uh, Mac, do you know this guy at all, or did he just email you out of the blue? I just I I got it and uh, one of those little inserts because the initial item is he's doing a business. You remember that? And yeah. the early investors, this is what he's doing is making this product. And if you're a very early investor in this with him, meaning buying one now, you get it at this really discount price. And he was trying to get X number for each model. And once he got past that then the price goes up because now he's got his manufacturing set up. But you look at the trial and errors and the feedback he got, and it really looks like the people who are diving one heck of a lot, you know how much abuse your camera can take. Mm -hmm. And they've already corrected items, like with that underwater correction filter. If you look on that one item, it's quite interesting. And it also looks like it's easy to service. Yeah. Well, he mentioned about the the lens that he was using, the, the material for the lens was a little bit high qual- higher quality than what GoPro was doing. But, you know, GoPro's model has been proportionally to have everything less expensive than anything else that was out Correct. there. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with GoPro's model. But if you're in the situation where you want something a little bit nicer or you have different needs uh, than that, I mean, this is this is free market. You got some competition. Yeah, that GoPro is used at drop zones. You can't believe how many people have those stuck to their helmets. And the video is very, very, very good. It's not the best for the low, low light, but for places, especially out, it's good. And you don't get uh, fading whenever you get a close shot versus the clouds. And the case is good because you will get them wet because you go to a cloud, you're going to get wet. You're going to get dumped on in the rain sometimes. And again, the pictures are very good. Like with Jim's, I think he's been out. I don't believe he's got a color filter for his yet. You don't need to buy this one. You can get the color filter for a regular camera, superimpose that, glue it on your lens facing, and you'll get some of this correction that way. But this looks like a workhorse type uh, that would be interesting. But again, that's half the cost of another unit. Yeah. So he's doing this as a Kickstarter project, 16 days left to go. And uh, they they had uh, he had different levels and he limited how many could go at each level. So originally uh, he had a, the ninety nine dollar level where it was twenty backers. He sold that out. Then the hundred twenty dollar level with twenty backers, and then the hundred forty nine dollar uh, with ten backers, one hundred sixty nine with ten, uh, then one hundred ninety nine dollars, uh, which he's got five backers so far, but that one's uh, still got availability on it. And does, do they change? I didn't look in here. Usually, a lot of times as the price goes up, they add more features. I know. Are they just the same, just well, there's, the longer there, you Well, there wait? was like four different ones, as I remember. Uh, one that had the back hollowed out, and there's another shield that you can actually look at your GoPro from the back. Mm-hmm. Some of the GoPros have it, so you can look in the, you know, your back, and you can see the pictorial or picture you're taking. Yep. So he's got that in there. He's got the ones with the filters or not. Uh, so there is some variations there. But... I think the other part is, like you said, it's a Stardock project. That's the first one I've heard about them, first one I've really seen on the net. And it looks interesting for a product that I could use. Yeah. And then, well, again, maybe I won't because the GoPro 
frame that comes with it or body is waterproof and I can use it, and if I'm using it for shallow, I'm probably going to be fine with that. But if I were going to go deep, I would definitely want a ca- that kind of case. Yeah. Well, and, and then they also, he had some, if you look at the bottom of the Kickstarter project, people asked him, well, can it be used on land? And he actually shows it mounted to the side of a car right by the tire. Yeah. So uh, he, he, he's even pledging it for that. Yeah. Now, the, this Kickstarter, we've had some other products on here on the show that have been done through Kickstarter. There's been an iPhone housing somebody was doing through Kickstarter. I don't yeah. know if they ever got funding for that. And then we also had the, uh, the underwater ROV. Open yeah. ROV, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did as a Kickstarter, and they did an amazing amount of money. That's another one. I keep thinking of all these people we need to have on the show. I just got to get on the phone and start calling people. So, excellent. Uh, it's interesting. I, and the more options we have, the better off. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see, uh, Paul in the chat room said, uh, Gollum Gear makes a GoPro housing that can go to 1,000 feet. I got that much strength. <laughs> Well, another, uh, actually, we talked about GoPro and we talked about the open ROV. That was one of the things that they were mounting to the open ROV was a GoPro. They would use a relatively low-priced video that works pretty decent. And Jim's got some decent shots over the last couple of times he's used it on both our wreck and the uh, fireboat. Yes. Those are good, those are good videos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just need to get the uh, filter, correcting filter, color correcting filter for it. Oh, you don't have that yet? No. Uh, I'm just going straight with the housing, so I'm going to try a red filter on it to see if that helps cut down on the green. Now, I wonder if you can just, if, if you could use uh, theatrical gel filters or if you got to get something fancy. I'm going to try the filter that was sent with the uh, another housing that I, or lens set that I was using at one time, but that lens fluttered on me, but I still have the filter that was in it. Actually, I just I just answered my own question on the theatrical gel filters. Uh, I think they're water soluble, <laughs> so that, <laughs> unless you're going to go go do some uh, water dyeing, I don't I don't think that's going to work. But uh, yeah, maybe repurposing some other color correcting lenses or filters could could go. Okay, I'm just being distracted. Paul posted a, a photo of that column or a link to that column gear one. You still there, Mac? Yes. I think we lost Jim. So we're. I was going to try to look at your last topic, which is the uh, Vandenberg. Oh, the video. I had, to, I had to dump the audio on it so I could take a look at it before you got there. <laughs> so yeah, I I I had the uh, video of the Vandenberg, and I and I then we had Rich in the chat room as we said earlier, and I know that he's done a dive on there. So uh, I was I came across this on YouTube, and I thought, hey, this will make our our video of the week. Is that in your collection also? I haven't I haven't done it yet. That's uh, well, one I'll I'll post later tonight. But uh, this this Dundenberg it was just an amazing looking shipwreck. You should have seen it before the zebras and quaggas got on it. Have you been on it? There, uh, I have this one, but I've been at uh, shows years ago when this was first found, and it was in a lot better shape because it wasn't even here you can see the coating on it even though the mast in certain areas almost looked like havana meaning there's been a die-off yeah but uh, some of these shots are, are pretty substantially covered and then some are not but i remember when the figurehead and stuff like this where it looks like a dolphin thing uh-huh. didn't have the zebras or the quaggas on it and it's a pretty wreck either way you look at it this is still so massive and so much of it to intact it is still nice but imagine looking at it with no quaggas and stuff. Oh, man, it's gorgeous. Uh, Rich says he knows the uh, uh, the people who did the video. They're friends of his. So we, we know Rich knows everybody in diving. 
Uh, but uh, the Dunnenberg, about uh, 155 feet at uh, a tech dive, you know, just outside uh, my recreational limits. And the Viz, on this particular day, the filming was about 60 to 80 feet. And in the video, they did a nice job. I like how they uh, linked or uh, tagged different parts so you had an idea of where it is. And since we're I'll talking about... I'll come back and watch that video a little later. It really looks good. Yep. Yeah, it's nice. And uh, here's, a, here's some, a special preview that will give people who are in the chat room, or if you're listening to the program, I've got another website that I'm getting ready to stand up. Uh, I've been wanting to do this for a while, and I just finally got off my butt this last week, and I said I'm going to do it. So I'm probably about halfway done, but it's actually functional if you want to go and take a look at it. It's going to be a website on dive videos. So the website URL is divevideos.com. .scubaobsessed.com. There's a link on the Scuba Obsessed website. On the right side, if you look, it says Dive Videos. If you click on that, it will take you to that website. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to curate the best dive videos that we're able to find and uh, put them on there. Now, my goal is to add at least one video a day uh, from uh, searching around and finding. And I've, I've probably got about uh, two or three months' worth already tagged and ready to go up. Uh, and then what I want to do is I want to make it easy to find it. Because one of the the reasons why I want the site is whenever, like I'll find a video and I'll go, that's cool. And then I can't ever go and find it again. You know, I can go into Google or YouTube or something and search for it. And I just can't seem to get back to it. So I, what I want to do is curate some of the best dive videos. And the idea is that we'll have search working to the point to where if you type in a shipwreck, you're going to find some of the best examples of videos on that wreck. Oh, and then Rich sent a uh, link to his Dunderberg dive. So uh, that'll be one that I'll, I'll have to go and take a look at. And I'm, I'm sure that should make the cut to get on the dive video site. Uh, back to something you said, or I just saw on the uh, Skype link, that Golem GoPro camera housing. Uh-huh. That's quite interesting. I'm looking at it right now. And again, from the price aspect, the other deal might be a little better deal from that aspect. But it's good to see competition, meaning don't go with one. Take a look and see what else is out there. Yeah. Because well, this one here is like $289. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things when GoPro came out with theirs, there was a lot in that same price range, but they weren't as good as the GoPro because the GoPro isn't a bad housing. Right. There were two or three that were really cheap and people were having all sorts of problems with them. And uh, GoPro is pretty much taking the bottom out of the market. They came in at a low price point and convenience because if you're selling the cameras, you, you also got the housings right there. Yeah, so that's good. There's uh, quite a few of it, a few of them. And then the GoPros are even getting a little bit up there in quality. I see that some of the uh, other on, uh, underwater camera companies are trying to scramble to regain some of their market share that they've lost. At Golem Gear, I just looked at their heading. That's a very nice site. I'm going to go back to that later on a lot of different gear out there. Have you looked at that under the browser categories? Uh, which one? Go to that site with that camera, uh-huh. which I did. Yeah. And I just went over on the left-hand side where it says browse to categories. Yeah. I just hit on the one for like uh, dry suits and undergarments. They got some interesting stuff there. Is there quality vest or Q vest, dry suit heating elements? This is huh. pretty swift looking. Now, is that made by Gollum Gear? Yeah. Yeah. That's, this is nice. I'm going to have to come back here and look. Got a nice selection of uh, wings since a lot of us are looking at going with the uh, backpack, you know, the back mount. And if you went to the uh, DC and wings, very nice. The prices are not bad. Looking at the backpacks and stuff. And last night's gear where we talked about how to do sling bottles, ponies and stuff. 
it's interesting that you got those kits right off to the right hand side in this one. That is slick. Hey Don, send me the uh, link and I'll post it on the site. Uh, he already did. It was on Skype. Go to Golden Gear. Do you see it on Skype at the bottom? Uh, hang on. Oh, okay. Yeah, click that on. You see it, it says Gold, Goldmere Gear, GoPro Housing. And then when you get there, look to the left and you have the category, man. Go okay. to the one on BCs. That is slick. Not, not that I get squirrel, you know, sidetrack. <laughs> well, it's diving related, so. Well, yeah. But I mean, I just went from normal to, oh my God, look at, look at that. And there wasn't even a girl in there. No. We no. divers are a strange breed. Yeah. Of course, with the girls, it makes it better. Yeah, but I sure do like that page on BCD and wings. It just fits so well in with our uh, last presentation in the dive club. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and uh, talk about that for a minute. We had a dive club meeting this last week, and uh, I thought that was a great presentation that Bob did. Not yeah, Bob. Gosh, I'm I'm confusing names now. That Bob did on uh, you know how he uh, sets up his gear, the stage bottles. And, uh, and how, and how to set up your pony bottle, your bailout bottle, your, and how to do a sling set, and or even how to hold, you know, how you want to mount your your bottle of gas for your dry suit. Yeah, and the progression that he had gone through, uh, you know, talking to different people and through the classes he had taken, and how stuff had changed around to find exactly what he likes. You know, some of the things he learned, like the clips. You know, anybody who's in tropical waters, you know, you can use those tiny little clips, but us with uh, you know seven mil wetsuits, we have to have those big clips. Yeah, with a farmer mitt where you got a, a mitt, not my fingers. Oh yeah, I, I dive with lobster uh, gloves. I do too. Half half the year. Yeah. So, and just put a plug in for what we've been doing. And skydiving every year they have classes at the beginning of the year. No matter how experienced you are, that takes four hours and they go through the basics that you should remember to do. But what we started here was talking about something dive-related from the safety aspect. And one of the episodes was backpacks and, and wings. If you're thinking about doing it, this is how you can do it, using real examples and experience. And we've been taking a topic each month, and this month happened to be on how to make your sling bottles or your bailouts or your holding position systems for your uh, dry suit uh, canisters. Mm-hmm. And I don't care how much you know, it's always good to talk to somebody else and get a different idea how to do it. I mean, because it's like he says, you set it up for what is comfortable for you. Yeah, and 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 part of that is does your physical body. I mean, Bob's not a tall uh, person, so his setup of how he likes his gear is going to be a little bit different than mine. And he brings out the point: if I'm down south, it's a different rigging than if I'm in the north diving under the ice. Yeah, because the hand, the functionality of the hand is so different. And can you wrench across your body? With lobster claws on and hook and dig hook, that's it was good. It's a good presentation. Yep. Short and sweet, nice. Yep. And then the food afterwards is always good too. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, you know, go and look for your local dive club or dive social or dive shop. Check in with your local dive center. They many of them are doing programs like that where you can get together with other divers and share stories. Okay, let's see. We also did have. Uh, Let's see, Jim, we had uh, Mark. Oh, was it Mark? Oh, that was Mark Elias who was, uh, sent us the, the GoPro housing. Uh, we had, uh, oh, Steve, who's also in the chat room, asking if we were doing uh, dives planned for this weekend. And uh, we have the, the Mud Club is doing their uh, annual picnic, which is Saturday. And as odd as it sounds, there'll be no diving this year. And then uh, I don't know what Sunday looks like for me. 
Well, uh, planning to go up to Frankfurt on Saturday evening because Ross Richardson is launching his book uh, about uh, finding the Westmoreland, which is Lake Michigan's gold ship. But I don't think I'm going to get up there, so I may take some people out for a pleasure ride on the boat Sunday. Mm-hmm. I donated a trip to the United Way and someone on an auction and they auctioned it off and someone won it, so now I have to deliver a uh, boat trip for them. Well, so I think we're going to knock that out of the way on Sunday. Yeah. Well, well, so we're already talking about next week. What? what uh, did any of us get any diving in this last week? I, I don't think so. I did not. I did not either. Yeah, I'm, I'm on a dry spell right here. Uh, I, I know. You, you you better be soaking that gear. It's going to dry out. I'm really thinking about getting some new gear. <laughs> I hear you there. I'm Everything I've got is wearing out. Uh, I, I think what, you know, they had that freeze dry. I think I need to freeze dry the family for about three months. To save me some dough so I can buy some gear. Yeah. Now Rich is rubbing it in. He did a lot of diving. Those, those. Yeah, I those, think Rich was up north, wasn't he? Oh, uh, he, he. Uh, and I heard a little bit of it on his show earlier. Uh, some of the diving that he was getting in, and it sounds amazing. Yeah, well, it's day. Job, though, you know, he's got a little in there. Yeah, yeah, but no, I didn't. Last week, uh, I was. You, well, you had talked about going up, and then you had some maintenance you were going to do in the boat. And then Jim Kleeman had me all set, ready to go, and we were going to get out. And then uh, his he realized that his truck was having problems, so he got stuck doing that on Sunday. So I I took the opportunity to dry out a little bit, but I was doing the youth fair all last week, so I am so far behind on projects around the home. I'm hoping to sneak something in this weekend, but it's going to be uh, a quick, uh, tough one. Well, I did get a, an email from a Christy and Jerry Barkley. Uh, they found our dive club site, uh-huh. and uh, they live out there in Sturgis, which is still in our, in our ballpark, and they got the numbers down for the Muskegon because they're interested in going out there. Uh, he's a relatively new diver, and he's got three diving friends, so they're going to go out there based on some of the information they saw on our site. They wanted to know if we had uh, other locations, meaning the other boats in the vicinity, and I told them when we got them, we'd go ahead and post them. And I gave them the Havana and the uh, Rockaway, since we do have the coordinates for that. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to see people are out there not only looking, but contacting us. And we can you know, at least tell them where to go in a polite and nice way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there, there's some diving. There's some diving to be done. Uh, now, the chat room is harassing me because I, I said uh, dry suit and gear. And uh, Steve has, has pointed out that last year, about this time of year, I was a week away from buying a dry suit. And I actually had money in my pocket at a dive shop, and I couldn't. They they just didn't have something I felt comfortable in buying. And then, you know, I can't remember what happened. I think my I was it tires or something. <laughs> car repair, brakes and stuff. Yeah, I think she had brakes in the car, and she did tires, and that pretty much wiped out all that money. You know, it's like you save for six months, and it's wiped out in a weekend. So. I guess it's better than the alternative of not having it there when you needed it, but darn, yep. it would have been nice to have that uh, dry suit. And then I've actually had some people let me try some dry suits on and pick them up. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not as close. I mean, I I, had, yeah, I was saying May Memorial Day. We're getting close to Labor Day. You know, I almost I almost don't even want to predict at this point. You know, I hate to even say online, but I almost need to uh, rob a bank or something. <laughs> <laughs> we need to find some gold. Yeah, 
So, uh, yeah, but, so may, maybe everybody going and, uh, you know, patronizing all these websites that I'll be putting up here. I've got uh, a, a list of them uh, that I've, I've gotten various states of completion. So uh, we're, we're going to get some of that stuff out there. Get, we'll get something going. Uh, also, also planning for the dive show season, uh, even though we, you know, we got summer that's running away, we'll be hitting winter and then we'll be getting right around the corner of the dive show. So we've got uh, dive shows in the Midwest and uh, beyond. So uh, I've got some links on that one. We, we may be presenting at a, a few of them. And we never got to the quarry this year. Any quarry? Yeah. No, we haven't. No, I, season, there, there's still time over. left, though. Yeah, we're we're still got the October meet and greet over at the Gilboa. Well, I've got uh, I've got a Cooper River dive that I'm going to do with uh, Dave and Rich. So I've got that, and I've I've thought about trying to sneak up a day early and maybe diving White Star since I'm going to be in that neck of the woods. I don't know how crazy that is. Yeah, they're talking about dry suits, and I have to agree with Rich. I'm I keep leaning towards the uh, white uh, tech or bullet, uh, either of those. Yeah. I, I, so, oh, okay. So let's see. Any diving this weekend? We talked about it. So I might be able to sneak out. Uh, I don't know yet. but uh, Well, I did go down to Niles yesterday and sort of played with the river a little bit, eyeballing. Uh-huh. It hurt my leg too bad. And if you're not down the river right now, you, you're, it, you're really missing your opportunity. Are you kidding me? Is the river's that clear? Oh, it was nice. We were just, uh, after we left, I uh, can't remember where we left. Oh, when, anyway, we had a doctor visit down in South Bend. On the way back, we stopped in Niles to check out the area for the picnic. So we parked right there, walked over to the uh, boardwalk, which is the whole length of it. You look down and it says, damn, because all the way out to the middle, you could see easy, six foot deep, easy, meaning you could see the bottom from the from that area. And it's shallow, so when I'm talking about looking out far, man, you could be, and it's stuff, I see stuff out there and say, I wonder what that is. What's that? You know, you can see the tires, but you see some items that look quite interesting, and I'd like to go out there and see what that was I didn't pick up. Yeah, D- Dave's now saying, hey, because uh, he's planning on coming in the, the area to get some wreck diving in. He's saying maybe you have to drop in the river. And the thing with the river, I mean, our, our challenge is probably going to be getting air fills, unless uh, Dave happens to bring a, you know, a couple hundred tanks or so. Actually, only a few. Well, I got I got a couple of full ones I can't use, so he can always borrow one of mine. Yeah, I'm not I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about me. Oh, well, you can borrow some of mine. <laughs> yeah, we got uh, yeah, because uh, you know, you get the holiday weekend. That's a problem with a three day weekend. Yeah. Is uh, you know, dive shops only open on Saturday, and you you blow your uh, air supply on Saturday. You're you're dry for Sunday and Monday. Well, that's so why that's you like borrow other tanks, or you rent extra. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. I'll have to. I'll have to do some uh, math to see. Uh, and, and a tank in the river where we would be going, Dave, you know, we, we, and we can get that. The, the, the river's nice to do, you know, early midday, I think would be nice. And this that time of year, if you, if you remember last year, we got in the river as well this time of year. River would be a good Monday dive. Yeah. Yeah, because you could even river. use uh, what's left in your tanks because you're going to come up uh, off the wrecks with maybe 1,000 pounds or so. And 1,000 pounds will get you half an hour on the river. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you could do those Monday, finish up the tanks, and then bail from there. Yeah, and yeah, we definitely can get you out there, Dave, if you come. Uh, yeah, the and and for those, if you the, the the challenge with this time of year in the rivers, you got boaters out, so we don't like shutting down the boat traffic. But we do have some spots where I know call that we've got like a mutual agreement with the boaters. They've been pretty respectful of us, and we have of them, so uh, we haven't had problems. 
But the nice thing about diving this time of year in the river, if we can keep uh, seven to ten days without rain, that river's clear and the leaves have not yet fallen in the river. Yes. You, Get you wait, we wait another three or four weeks and those leaves are going to start covering up the bottles and it makes it much more of a challenge. Right now, uh, the bottles are just sitting there on the top, kind of like easy pickings. Yeah, Dave says after the show discussion, we'll, we'll certainly have one, uh, even though I got a ton of editing to do today. Um, let's see, what else do we have? Uh, I'd like to remind everybody, uh, you know, subscribe to us on iTunes. We love those five-star, five-star, gosh, here, have another drink, five-star iTunes reviews, uh, also on TalkShoe. Don't forget, we still have our fan map, so you go ahead and put a, a pin in the fan map at, uh, you go to Scuba Obsessed, go to the About, Scuba Obsessed Fans, and you put it in there, and that's where all the cool divers go go. They put that pin in. It shows where they're at. Keep adding more nearly, maybe not every week we get one, but uh, quite often. And don't forget to check out the Mud Club site, mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. And then uh, we're probably about two or three weeks from launching the dive video site. But if you heard it here, divevideos.scubaobsessed.com, you can get a sneak peek. Uh, we're also looking for submissions. So if you've got some recommended videos, you know, you got friends, buddies, you you yourself who did some videos and you think they're they're uh, worthy of being featured, we'll get them up there on the site. Let's see what else did we forget? Boy, it's this has been this has been a fairly long episode this week. Time travels fast when you're having fun. It sure does. Oh, well, um, but before we get to that time of the show, Jim, I think you need to pitch something about the preserve, don't you? About the preserve. Oh, we've got the uh, Trash and Treasure Dive coming up. Is that what yeah. you were talking about? Yep, Trash and Treasure Dive. And uh, when is that going to be? Gee, now you're going to make me go look it up. <laughs> Just go to our favorites on the Mud Club site. We have it listed there on the event. Yeah, so that's uh, so that's going to be held where? Uh, Moby's Dive Shop in Grand Rapids. I think it's September the 29th. I'm going to double-check the date. It's to benefit the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve. And we're also taking memberships. Uh, $25 if you want a shirt or $15 without a shirt. We've got a number of dive shops uh, and charter companies that are providing discounts to preserve members. So that'll be on the back of your membership card, um, who our supporters are. And we're looking for more supporters and more members and uh, trying to get the treasury built up a little bit so we can buoy some more wrecks and have some working capital for doing the excavation on Max Wreck next year. Well, excellent. Uh, hope, hopefully they do. Uh, now, have you been given good luck with uh, getting new members, or is it kind of slow going? We've had a few pickups since we did the communication and the press release the uh, last couple weeks ago. Uh, there's been more interest, and so we're doing some follow-up with that, uh, putting together a you know kind of a letter for uh, – I hope to have a big membership push in the spring. Uh, Certainly. Get people into the preparing for diving and get them signed up for some underwater archaeology classes if they can. That way we can use them for different tasks like group leaders or project leader or like a, you know, a team leader. Uh, as we're working Max Rec, uh, people who haven't been through the archaeology class will certainly be used, but they might be the one who hold the other end of the tape measure while somebody's swimming around taking all the measurements. Yeah, I like holding the tape measure. That's more my speed. Let somebody do the other right. end. Get, get you through the class, and we could have you taking a couple other people down and doing the tape measure and doing some sketching. And, yeah. You know, and then as we get into the excavation, we've, we're talking with the state uh, about a permit and 
Uh, that that sounds like an episode right there on that process. Yeah, we'll wait till we get through it and see how that goes. Uh, but we've uh, got agreement from the Michigan Maritime Museum in South Haven. Uh, they're willing to work with us on any artifacts that are recovered, doing the preservation and display of them for us. So that's a major hurdle that uh, we've overcome. Um, that way, the hopefully the state will allow us to uh, go ahead and recover artifacts that could be lost in, because this wreck fills in so often or could be uh, damaged if they weren't preserved properly. So we'll, that's why we're working with the state and just trying to get all the ducks lined up so when we do put the permit application in, things will fly through and we'll be ready to go. Yeah. Uh, uh Steve in the chat room says he'd be interested in those classes. Uh, also, don't forget to check your local dive center and tell them that you want to do the archaeology class. Um, dive shops can partner with the preserved and, uh, you know, uh, be able to participate in some fashion. Yeah, we'd love to have more dive shops put on the archaeology class and then refer students over to the preserve for their field work. Yeah. And uh, that would be fantastic. The Max Rec is in 72 feet of water. So it's definitely a doable dive. I mean, most of the mud club have been diving it. We're taking uh, people out to it occasionally to get some experience on it and see it. Um, so it's uh, definitely a doable dive. Um, visibility comes and goes anywhere from 60 to 80 to 3 feet most recently. But, uh, you know, it's like any other Lake Michigan diving. If you want the good visibility, you've got to take the cold water with it. When the water gets real warm, the visibility goes or so. Well, and then here's something else to think about. Where else, say you get that permit and you've got the preserve or, or the museum able to take artifacts, where else in the Great Lakes are you going to be able to legally take items off a shipwreck? There is I mean, no other place. Right. This this could be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, to be part of a recovery, you know, to say I helped recover that uh, bell or that uh, dead eye or who knows what else we're liable to find down there that, uh, you know, people will be able to put on display for non-divers to see. Uh, the Michigan Maritime Museum is going to be changing their display in 2014 and doing a shipwrecks display. So we're hoping that the uh, archaeology work that's going on the Max Wreck between the summer of 13 and the summer of 14 can be a highlight of that. Lots of video, and you know we're we're in discussions with them about uh, featuring some. You know, if we recover some artifacts, have them available for that time. So. Uh, all the pieces are falling in place to make this a, a good uh, good project to work on with uh, lots of visibility and lots of publicity. Excellent. Plus, you know, the other piece of this is we're still trying to identify this wreck, and uh, hopefully we'll know a little more about the vintage of it in the next week or two, but uh, very possibly we this could be one of the oldest wrecks in Lake Michigan, if it is early 1800s, as we think it might be. Well, certainly looking forward to finding out about more information on this wreck. I'm sure many of the fans are. Oh, I think we're getting to that time of the show. Well, I'm sitting back. I'm all relaxed. Got my breathing under control. Go for it. Well, I, I think in honor of uh, the ending of Shark Week, Shark Week, <laughs> that ran on uh, Discovery Channel, um, I think this one comes quite appropriate. Two great white sharks swimming in the ocean spy some divers. The younger one licks his lips and makes a beeline for them. 
Just a minute, says his father. First we swim around at a distance, and then they do. He says, now we swim around them a few times real close, and then they do that. And he says, now we eat everybody. And when they had both gorged themselves, the son asked, Dad, why didn't we just eat them when we first saw them? He says, because they taste better without all the poop inside. See, that's not a bad one. I like that one, too. Yeah, I, I thought that one made sense. I mean, if I was a shark, I, that'd be my technique. No, no, would you be so. better, the dry suit divers or the wet suit divers? I mean, that's kind of like well, a wrapper. I mean, is it, is it kind of like Christmas toys for us, you know, where you've got to pull apart all that plastic and you never seem to get in? <laughs> and the young ones play with the wrappings in the boxes? Yeah, the, <laughs> they, leave, they just leave the body and just play the packaging. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And remember, no poop-eating white sharks were harmed in the making of tonight's show. Did we just lose Mac? Did he drop? Huh, that, that's weird. I'm so still here. I'll, I'll, we got to figure out how to do that where we can drop. Hello. Hello, Dave. Hey, Dave. We we may get dropped here now that Mac jumped, so I'll call everybody back if that happens. Uh, Paul, let's see. Do I have you on my list? You yeah, did stop at recording, right? Yeah, he did. Oh, of course. I, I never record any of these conversations. <laughs> yeah, the, the Smithsonian will definitely want all this material. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or Mad Magazine.